Hey, it's Chris Bleck. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with Alex Glukowski. He's the co-founder and CEO of Matter Labs, which is the company behind ZK Sync, which is a layer two network being built on top of Ethereum. This is a conversation that's really going to open your eyes with regard to the security around layer twos and who you actually have to trust when you put your money there. You're not going to want to miss this one, especially if you use Ethereum layer twos. First, quickly, let me thank my two sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Foundation Devices, the makers of the beautiful air-gapped open source assembled in the USA Bitcoin hardware wallet called Passport. And by air-gapped, I mean this device never goes online, never needs to connect to your computer. Every time you connect your hardware wallet to your internet-connected computer, you're running some risk. But Passport uses an SD card to eliminate that risk. And it's super simple to sign Bitcoin transactions by just scanning QR codes. So much safer to do it this way. You can use their mobile app called Envoy, or you could use Sparrow Wallet or Electrum. There's a hundred ways that you can use Passport. You can do it in your own way. The attention to detail and design is just amazing. So many crypto hardware wallets look like they were made by engineers, right? But the Passport is totally different. It's beautiful. The average person would look at this and think it's a, a little mobile phone or something like that. It has a rechargeable battery, a glass display, really, really nice. You need to take a look at Passport. Decide for yourself. They're back in stock. So go to foundationdevices.com and check it out. Thank you to an amazing group of ThorChain supporters for sponsoring this week's episode. When you want to swap between two cryptocurrencies, whether it's Bitcoin to Ethereum or Dogecoin to Litecoin or whatever it might be, the first way you probably think about doing it is on a centralized exchange, right? Well, you have another option, a much more decentralized option. That is ThorChain. ThorChain is a decentralized cross-chain network of nodes that enables you to swap native, not wrapped, but native assets between blockchains. And you never have to give anyone else custody of your assets. You're sending from your own self-custodial wallet and receiving back into your own self-custodial wallet on another blockchain. It's your decentralized alternative to a centralized exchange. Nobody else out there is doing this. This is very important work that ThorChain is doing. So the next time you want to trade one crypto for another, skip the centralized exchange, check out ThorChain, learn it before you use it, do your research, get all the details at ThorChain.com. Alex Glukowski. Did I say your last name right? Correct. All right. But thanks for jumping on a call with me. Sure. You, um, we had a podcast like two years ago. Do you remember? And we, we talked through, I think you guys were, did you have a product yet? I don't think you had any product out there yet. Oh no, you just had the swap tool. Exactly. We had ZK Sync Lite, the first version of the app-specific ZK rollup, and now we have a generalized one. Yeah, so at that point it was just, you could make a deposit to this mysterious thing called a layer two, and you could transfer funds between addresses, Mm -hmm. Um, but you couldn't do anything else. 
and uh, I think you could swap, but not more. Okay, yeah, I think that might have even been added later, right? Mm-hmm. But like you know, so two years ago, layer twos were so novel to us that we were just so amazed that you could you could take assets off of mainnet and uh, move them around on this mysterious decentralized allegedly decentralized layer two <laughs> and now look at us right because back then we were just talking about here's the future here's the things we might be able to do. and now we're at the point where you can basically do everything you can do on main and more mm-hmm. um one of the things that i enjoyed about our chat and about the way you guys do things is you're i think you're the only layer two project out there that that sort of talks about freedom and self-sovereignty and financial, um, you know, uh, sovereignty, I guess, you know, stuff like that. So tell me a little bit about um, your thoughts on that and, and how it got you here, how it got you into the space. Absolutely. So th- this is simply due to the fact that it's been the DNA of ZK Sync from the day of its inception. This is what brought me into crypto. Um, the deep passion for freedom and its intersection with the passion for technology and realization that blockchains uh, is the most fascinating technology that can protect and enhance freedom in, in today's world because the digital life becomes more and more prevalent and you know soon, if our assumptions are correct, most of the internet will transition, will, will migrate on chain. So the we see blockchains web three is just the continuation of the internet revolution and whatever the internet has done to the world of information the blockchains will do to the world of value and so it's um insanely important that we don't make the same mistakes uh, as those that were done uh, in the development of the internet which started out as a decentralized network to such a degree that it was supposed to be able to survive a nuclear war Right, like with all the completely being partitioned, uh, with all the data centers disconnected and still functioning properly. And then today we live in a situation where like five companies, five co- five corporations control eighty percent of the internet traffic, and they can dictate policies and rules and uh, you know, like do a lot of decisions on behalf of the users. So the the Web three revolution started as a counter movement to that, and we want to preserve it for uh, a very long period of time. And we want to evolve it beyond something that can easily be manipulated. Like we want to live with this awareness and we want to uh, like build new systems by design and build new cultures and user communities around the idea that we want to preserve the sovereignty in the web free world. So like the internet, so the precursor to the internet was walled gardens like America Online and Prodigy and CompuServe and I'm sure there were other ones out there um, and they control all the traffic within their their ecosystems obviously the internet came along and ate their lunch right they tried to hang in there but it ate their lunch now with Ethereum and Layer 2's um, it's different, right? Because, you know, we can compare it to the internet, but, you know, you've got Ethereum, which, which has its own issues, you know, with the switch to proof of stake. 
and um, it's debatable. We can talk about, you know, if you want, but it's debatable about how decentralized that is at that point um, versus how decentralized it was before. But then you got these layer twos like ZK Sync that are starting out centralized, right? There's, so it's not like the internet where where it, it started out decentralized. It's actually more like AOL where it starts out centralized uh, and then it plans to and promises to decentralize over time, uh, but there's still a business behind it, a business running it, right? So it's it's a little bit different. The incentives are a little bit different, don't you think? I want to differentiate. I want. I, I will slightly disagree. Some of the layer twos start completely centralized, and they are just basically POA networks operating under the um, the disguise. But uh, the uh, layer twos such as zk Sync are actually decentralized in, in some critical, uh, uh, like in in essence, in what makes them a layer two. So, like the it, it's very similar to a situation where you have. Um, uh, a, um, a wallet on your mobile phone, which is non-custodial, which controls your funds, and uh, even though you can, you know, like the the, the wallet can be upgraded, or the uh, iOS or whatever wallet provider Android you use could theoretically replace this app with something that could have access to your keys. As long as this is not happening, the wallet remains non-custodial, and you fully control the assets there. So. You could argue, yes, we want like fully decentralized hardware. True ownership would mean that you have your own uh, open source um, components, your own devices, which you fully control. But like, it's a spectrum. It's not a binary situation where it's either uh, fully controlled by you or not fully controlled by you. What makes layer twos layer twos by definition is that they must inherit security from Ethereum. So they must inherit all the enforcement of the rules that are programmed there, all the blockchain um, uh, constraints, which is you can only spend money if you own the, the some balance in your account. And you cannot spare mo spend more than the balance that you have in your account. And in order to spend it, you have to authorize the transaction with your signature. And you cannot spend the same transaction twice. So you have some co concept of a nonce and so on. So those rules have to be enforced in a way that is backed by Ethereum or whatever underlying layer one you're using. So if this is fulfilled, then you have a true L2. So in this sense, ZK Sync is a true L2. So you can deposit funds, you can withdraw them. Um, there is no way for us to, to manipulate any of the state, any of the state transition, change any rules. Like you can validate, verify the code yourself, you can re-verify the math behind the zero-knowledge proofs, the cryptography we're using, and you can be, you can have a guarantee mathematically to the extent to which the code is bug-free that uh, the L2 is doing what it's supposed to do, what you, what, what you trusted it to do. I hear you, um, but I feel like there's more to the story. I, I have this clip, I know you heard it, 
uh, Vitalik Buterin saying something about L2s. I just want to play it and then talk about it with you. And the other thing that, um, like, I've talked to the roll-up teams that they all want to do next year is they want to start taking off training wheels, right? So the roll-ups and uh, layer twos that exist on Ethereum today, they basically all have what I call training wheels, like some kind of backdoor that lets developers uh, come in and, like, say stop and change the protocol if they see that some kind of bug has happened. So he says they all have training wheels. So what are the training wheels? What are the backdoors into ZK Sync? Um, I would not call it backdoor. I would call it what, what it is really called, upgradability for emergency use cases, uh, for like or in, for cases of emergency, uh, where um, the, um, the developer team or the um, uh, group of, you know, like the security council, whatever you call it, has the ability to upgrade the system. Um, the and this is something that is really difficult to change unless layer one and the social consensus around layer one, all the users of layer one essentially will kind of opt in on will commit to resolve certain situation, uh, certain types of situation at um, you know like collectively that they will say like certain protocols are so important that we all agree that we will have to fork Ethereum in order to resolve a bug that, that is happening in those systems. Because not all protocols are equal. Like some systems are relatively simple, like you can take Uniswap, for example, um, that has a limited contract surface. You can deploy it once, you can verify the code, you can uh, test it for a prolonged period of time, then Kind of like the probability that, that there is a bug is very, very low and you can just use the system and then migrate to a new version which you deploy separately. This is very hard to do with L2s at the level of maturity at which we currently are. All of the L2s today are very, very early in their development cycle. And we, we know for a fact that the, the cryptography we're using is not final. It's not ready to ossify. It just in the first couple of years after the, the uh, zero knowledge proofs got to a point of maturity where we can actually use them in production. We know that new protocols are being developed that are much more efficient and we will have to switch to them. Like ZK Sync is currently in the process of switching from Plonk to a new proof system called Bujam, which is orders of magnitude more efficient and will enable transactions on a radically different scale. So like, mm -hmm. as long as we know that these things are happening, we will have to do upgrades Upgrades themselves can be done with an opt-in manner. So you can propose an upgrade, the, the core team or, or governance of a certain protocol can, can make a proposal and say, this is the next version. If you don't like it, you have plenty of time to opt out, withdraw all your funds, no one can stop you because there are uh, enforcement mechanisms which we discussed where you can go through layer one you can say like here is a priority queue i want my transaction to be executed no matter what the value with the current validators the sequencers whether it's a centralized sequencer or a decentralized sequencer whatever they want they have to do it if they don't do it i always can enforce it myself and it can produce my own proofs for the blocks to withdraw my funds uh, but there will be always situations of emergency, like Bitcoin had bugs in the core protocol. Ethereum had bugs in the core protocol. And the only way to fix those bugs were, was to, to make a hard fork. 
that all the users, all the full node operators of Bitcoin and Ethereum had to upgrade their software, or at least the, the super majority. The but that's a lot different from a multi-sig, right? It's a lot different because Correct. that was a yeah, decentralized consensus mechanism. Exactly. So the what we need to get to is a um, an order, a social acceptance of layer zero, of our social layer behind networks such as Bitcoin and Ethereum, that they will have to do the same for layer twos. Like, if layer twos are important, and we can talk why they are important, we can talk about like why it's not possible to implement decentralization at arbitrary scale in layer one itself, and what's the proper role of layer one, what's the what's the role of layer two. Um, but let's just take it for granted, it's not possible. Like you need layer twos, you need to modularize the stack. If we want to cover billions of people and give them access to blockchain in a fully decentralized, trustless, and affordable manner. We need to use L2s. So right, we right, will right. need to figure out how to uh, to uh, to avoid those training wheels and switch to these uh, more advanced upgrade mechanisms. So, like, I get that you know when you're building this advanced technology, you need you need access to be able to fix bugs, which has been the story since for the past you know several well three four years I guess with DeFi yes. as new apps have been developed and you know we first had these admin keys they became multi sig some of them transitioned to DAOs, but they all kept the ability to make fixes in some way. And we've seen multi-sigs justified in that way, um, which is inherently a problem, which we don't really need to get too deep into, but it's inherently a, a philosophical problem because the holders, the alleged holders of the multi-sig have no way to prove the security of that multi-sig to anybody who has a vested interest or who has deposits. On the platform, so multi-sigs as a as a tool of control over third-party assets is flawed, and will probably one day be be illegal. I think, um, but in the meantime, we've got this situation where you got four hundred million dollars worth of other people's money on zk sync uh, era, and you've got a four of seven multi-sig which. Um, and I'm looking at L2Beat now, which is a great website, l2beat.com. Uh, according to L2Beat, the code that secures the system can be changed arbitrarily and without notice by the governor that currently is a four of seven multi-sig. The governor can also change the verifier contract without notice. So when I read that, I read that $400 million worth of other people's money is subject to the security of this and the integrity of this multi-sig. Is that accurate or is that inaccurate? Um, the It's subject to security of the underlying system, which is then in addition um, uh, passively secured by this multi-sig. This multi-sig does not have to perform any active function in order for the funds to remain secure. Let me rephrase the question. Sure. What's the worst thing that this multi-sig could do to um, maliciously, or not that it would, and it's all theoretical and it's all hypothetical, but I think that of anybody that works with any layer two, you're probably the 
one person that I could actually get an honest answer about this from. <laughs> what, what is the worst possible thing that this multi-sig could do to the $400 million worth of funds that are on ZK Sync era? Well, if the multi-sig is compromised, it could harm the, the funds there. What does that mean? Case, it could uh, drain the funds? It could steal the funds? What? Um, it could uh, upgrade the contract to something malicious. And what it could cannot, that do? It, it cannot directly steal any funds. This is very important. But give me the worst case scenario. If somebody like stole all, you know, stole all seven keys, like just some crazy situation. It's yeah. this action yeah, movie, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they could, sure. They, they then could upgrade the smart contract to something that could be controlled by someone else. And then this whatever, whoever, this entity that controls the new contract could then do whatever it wanted with the money. So, so the, the multi-sig cannot move. The multi-sig could upgrade the contract without notice, no time lock, no time delay, uh, to move the funds, what, from the bridge into their own wallet? Uh, exactly. Okay, so all the funds currently on ZK Sync Era and every other layer too, right, that uses a multi-sig, which I think is all of them, um, the multi-sig is the, is the linchpin. Like, none of this other stuff really matters. Like, I get... Oh, no, okay. no, no, it does. The other stuff does matter a lot. So you're saying that uh, a multi-sig is a single point of failure if it fails then the the the, uh, the system can fail in its security this is true and this is correct but the other stuff does matter a lot because e, the what makes l2 and l2 is that it remains secure in the absence of any action on behalf of this uh, upgrade multi six Right, and, and all, I also I like 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 the the reason I'm on this podcast is because I really like your attitude, and I fully agree with your message, and your the meta message I'm I'm hearing from you is, you have to think for yourself, and you have to understand the reality, you have to understand the systems like what they really mean, and not not the marketing bullshit, and then you have to think for yourself like what's the best course of action, uh, and uh, so like. So you have to understand that yes, multi-sigs are bad. We want to get rid of them in order to remain decentralized at any layer. And unless we find a way to do this, uh, Ethereum will fail. Ethereum will fail to either decentralize or scale. Like we'll remain in the balance of the blockchain trilemma or, or we'll fail to secure the system, right? So, uh, but I want to ask a different question. What would be the better alternative? Like, un, like un, until that time, till we get these new mechanisms, till we, we design them and we get a broad acceptance of the community to, 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 to have a better way to manage the upgrades, to manage security risks, mitigation of bugs and so on. Would it be better for us to not develop any L2s, not deploy anything at all, not you know, like work on these protocols and and build stuff and, and build teams and work on cryptography. So like, this is the question for me. Like to me, it feels like, obviously, since we're doing this, that yeah. it's better for the community to move forward with the trustless technologies, or at least with trust minimized technologies with the ultimate goal to get to a state where we can scale Ethereum or Bitcoin on all the decentralized blockchains in 
inf- infinitely, with limitlessly, without any any bounds, while fully keeping them decentralized. So that yeah. that final state is the most interesting thing for me to discuss, like how we can get to that state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my objective, my agenda is never to to tell people to stop developing or to say this shouldn't exist or to say anything like that. My agenda is always transparency and um, education, right? So in the case of L2s, here's my concern. Uh, I'm going to go back to what I said before. I, I think that the multi-sigs for now, as long as they exist, are all that matters when it comes to when it comes to the what a normal person needs to understand with regards to who they have to trust in order to use this technology. Yes, there's all this other stuff going on with sequencers and validators and proposers and and all these other interesting parts of the network that are eventually going to ossify into something really cool potentially. But any decentralized system is only as decentralized as its most centralized part. And the most centralized part of every L2 um, right now that I know of is this multi-sig control. And we just were saying, let me just finish this because it's important. We were just saying that this four of seven multi-sig and on Arbitrum it's a different thing and on Optimism it's a different thing as far as numbers go, but they, they all have these multi sigs that are capable, I believe all of them have zero time delay, zero notice required to upgrade the smart contract and to do anything they want. Worst case scenario, steal all the money, um, you know, but there's a million other ways that they could go about it. While that exists, one attack vector remains open that is every, on my mind every minute of every day that we've seen before, which is the government, which are state actors, right? And bottom line, you know, and this is why I go after base so much with Coinbase. They've got a multi-sig, they've got 100,000 ETH now on the network. They're owned and operated by a regulated entity in Coinbase. They're subject to a KYC AML laws already. They're subject to uh, Bank Secrecy Act, they're subject to all these different state laws and regulations. But they're, they're pretending that BASE is exempt from all of that. Whereas they own and operate it. you know, And I think, you know, same thing with ZK Sync. You guys own and operate that network while it's centralized under a multi-sig. And that, that's where I get frustrated because... N- Nobody wants to admit that, even though it's very, very clearly true, you know? So that's where, that. so when I say it's all that matters, to me, it's like, that goes back to the most, you know, the centralized part is, is as central, you know, that's, that's the measure of which you can look at how decentralized the network is, in my opinion. Do you agree with that, or do you think I'm off? Um, if the multisig is the least or the most centralized part of the system, that is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, multisig is not the most dis- uh, most centralized part of the system. If you think of the multi-chain, I think what, what, uh, any any swap any swap exploit a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, mm-hmm. where the it was supposed to be a multi-server MPC system, but it was actually controlled by the servers kept in the 
apartment of the CEO and then he was captured by the Chinese government and then he was forced to leak all the keys and, and it was not actually the most uh, insecure part of the system because the the actual security mechanism of the system was not sufficiently decentralized right so like it's very important to differentiate between different networks uh some of them really derive security from ethereum and only use the multi-sig for emergency control some of them have the multi-sig as the uh you know like a safer part of, of the system because they have participants there like zk sync security council with 15 different prominent people in the crypto space um, in different jurisdictions uh, and it's really hard to control all of them no it's and, not and then they it's not hard to control them it's very easy to control them. And upgrade they're all getting paid they are they're getting paid to do a job right they're all getting paid they're 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 part of the company basically they're doing a service so it's not uh, difficult to control them you can get if I mean I give I give problems to people to, to networks that have a hundred people that need to collude in order to, to do harm to it because it's still too few you know so when you're talking about four or seven or twelve to say that like it's too hard to control them I mean look if the if if a nation state comes after Arbitrum okay and says you have to do this or else you're in violation of the law. Uh, it's not going to be hard to get that multi-sig to agree to a be quiet about it and b you know make changes quietly and c you know do things that uh, might be against the interests of depositors if it's going to protect the company and if they're getting paid to do it. Are zk sync signers getting paid? Uh, n- no, they're not get- getting paid for being signers. Is that documented? Like I have, I didn't see. Um, is is the signer list public, or how are you guys handling the multi-sig? Uh, we will release a very de- detailed document about decentralization and the, um, you know, like we we like as I said, zk sync is an alpha version as most of the other L2s. We are in very very early stages. That's not the final state. So I don't really want to focus much on this current state. I agree with you that this is there's not 400 million dollars on it. Understand the, <laughs> the the risks and the realities. You did a really good job describing it. Uh, I would love to speak about the 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 like what we want to do about that. Like, do do we want to stay here or do we want to move to some better situation is a different world possible at all well i mean look there's 400 million dollars on the network right so i mean yes it's in an early stage but you guys and every other l2 team made the decision to encourage to incentivize as much uh you know, as much trust from retail depositors as you possibly could, you know, with these airdrops and with these other incentives. Um, well, no, we, the ZK Sync era is officially an alpha. It's a, it, it's a very early technology. ZK Sync um, Lite is in a like, proper release. We could, like, let's talk about ZK Sync Lite. It's a lot easier. Okay, so sorry. So ZK Sync era is the layer two that can run smart contracts and 
you know, people are are yes. um, moving their money to it and and trading on and all this stuff in order to encourage, uh, in order to achieve a future airdrop, right? Uh, we never spoke about any airdrop, and uh, so like. Okay, I but okay, this is I get it. People are using <laughs> L tools. Uh, I see a lot of there are a lot of people interested in the technology and in the ethos of decentralization and freedom, and this is why they are experimenting with with this tech. But as I said, and as is clearly documented in all the official documents, it's it's very early stage. It's an alpha technology. You should not use it for anything serious. You should not put you know, it, money there. So Arbitrum did an airdrop obviously optimism did an airdrop zk sync has hinted about an airdrop um the idea was to encourage people to uh to bring their to to bridge their money to this layer two you know and i get i get it okay so there's no promise of anything but it's an alpha product at 400 million dollars worth of crypto on it uh and all of it is subject to the security of a multi-sig where the signers haven't even been, you know, released, announced. I don't, I guess there hasn't been anything from you guys yet as far as how it's secured or why people should trust it. So 100% of the funds on on this particular layer two um, have, have an irrational amount of trust from, from depositors, wouldn't you say? I mean, really, like for looking at it from the outside in, separating yourself from it as much as possible. Does it make sense for four hundred million dollars to be entrusted to a multi-sig where you don't know who the signers are, how it's being secured, why you should trust it? You know, you have no idea, and you barely know anything about zk Sync, the company, or who's behind it, or anything like that. Like, does it make any sense for for people to be entrusting their money to that? And wouldn't you say the only reason they would probably do that is because they don't really understand the fact that they're placing that irrational trust in in this system? So I'm, I'm going to ask the counter question. Um, do you think that uh, MetaMask, Trust Wallet, and all the other mobile wallets together hold more funds than any single L2 combined? Would you agree to this statement? So, like, yeah, I, I think probably, you would agree, right? Probably. So, uh, but do you know who controls the upgrade keys to all those applications? Who can go on the App Store or on the Google Play and just pull a trigger and say, let's upgrade this app to something malicious that will send all of the private seed phrases and private keys from all these mobile wallets to the server of, uh, of this uh, controlled by this uh, uh, malicious actor and then extract the keys, as happened recently with with a um, like large scale attack on uh, I think when LastPass was compromised. You don't know, right? Like you don't know. Like is there a multi sig at all, or is it controlled by a single system administrator who can just do this secretly without letting anyone know, and just like let the phones upgrade to this malicious version and be operated for a while until he collects enough of the seed phrases to, to upgrade. Like, this is exactly the same situation. Like, there is some, like, if you cannot really verify the software yourself, and you, if you don't control the upgrade channel, 
you're entering some trust assumptions that the software is not going to be maliciously upgraded. This applies to everything. This applies to your hardware devices, to your laptop, to your mobile phone, to the apps themselves, to the app store. Like all, like all of those things have their independent admin keys that could inject malicious software. It's not the same thing. It, I'll tell you why it's not the same thing. Because if they push an upgrade, not everybody's going to upgrade at the same exact time. It's going to become apparent very quickly something is very wrong uh, out there in the, the world of social media and interconnectivity. Uh, not everybody's going to do the upgrade at the same time. Right. So people and plus, this is why we tell people to use hardware wallets, 2FA, et cetera. OK, so there's a lot of people who this wouldn't really affect at all. There's, it's not the same as a layer two that has a multi-sig that can, in the dead of night, get four people together, process a transaction and steal half a billion dollars worth of money instantaneously. This is basic. This would be the same thing if MetaMask could flip a switch and turn off every single body, every single wallet that exists at the same time and steal money uh, instantly. It's not the same thing. And also- well, Chris, they, they can do it instantly and they can they affect more wallets within a short period of time and with more funds in it than any single L2. This is the disingenuous, control, I feel like. I don't feel no, like this, this is, is- this is absolutely the same situation, just at a different scale. And yes, you have an alternative such as hardware wallet which you could go and install on AirGap machine and pro, like, you know, follow your own security measures, only map, pass messages with QR code, decode them, and so on and so on. And this is what we want to encourage people to. Like initially, we did not have those hardware keys. We only had software uh, wallets, also for Bitcoin. In the very first days of Bitcoin, there was only a software wallet. And the operators, the, you know, the, the providers of the operating system who always have a backdoor of some kind could install some malicious upgrade and like affect some people and, and, and extract their mind. The, the, what, what's different here is, is the scale is like, you know, some modalities, but it's fundamentally the same thing. Whether you like, you can upgrade something that uh, will lead to malicious results. Ultimately, we don't want this to happen. But the, the situation is very similar. So, like, if you're asking me why people do trust the systems, maybe because they are not taking them seriously. You know, like, maybe each individual just deposits a little bit of Ether, a little bit of some NFTs just to play around. Like, this is a playground today. This is not the next financial system. It will become one if we follow the critical thinking. If people, the users in the first place, like, demand from the developers that the standards go up, that there are, uh, you know, like the, uh, um, if multi-sigs are used, they're used in the proper way with time logs for upgradability, with certain measures, with, with inability. Maybe a multi-sig can be only used to freeze the contract for a short period of time, and then the governance of the protocol has to intervene and, and affirm the upgrade. And eventually we want to get rid of any kind of multi-sig, any kind of like trusted majority assumption altogether. But until that happened, we have to accept the, 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 the state of the maturity of technology for today. But this is, I think this is the answer to your question. Could the multi-sig be used to, um, to freeze a wallet, to freeze an account? Uh, a multi-sig can be used to, to, to make a malicious upgrade. If you use your admin key to maliciously upgrade your mobile wallet app, 
it could be used to to freeze your assets on this app. It could be used to to take these assets. No, on the layer two, on zk sync. Uh, on all the layer twos that have upgrade keys, they can upgrade the contract to whatever to so, any malicious contract. So multi sync could, could be used to to freeze assets. Um, I no, I would not put it this way. The multi-sig cannot be used to freeze assets. Uh, and uh, sorry, like you keep asking the question, I will have to repeat in a certain way because I have to put things extremely. You know, like we we have like this conversation is sensitive, so I have to put things very correctly. I cannot mm-hmm. misuse, abuse my words, right? If you understand. Sure. So uh, a multi-sig cannot be used to uh, to to freeze the the funds to, to like, affect any specific accounts. There is no backdoor like in stable coins, like, you know, all this US or like fiat backed stable coins have a function to like freeze certain account, uh, seize funds from certain accounts. None of that exists in L2. Like not a single L2 I know has, has a backdoor. Like Let me rephrase the, the question then. Could a multi-sig be used to upgrade the system, the layer tubes logic, um, specifically to relaunch in a way where everything is just the way it was before except specific ethereum addresses on the layer two um no longer have access to the funds that they did before the upgrade well the multi-sig could be used to upgrade the system to any smart contract so this smart contract could be anything right so that's a yes um as I said, like the, the multisig itself cannot be used to freeze funds. It can be used to upgrade the, the system too. Okay, so it can be used you know, to upgrade it, the it, system to a, a version that that basically screws over certain... To some malicious version, yes. Okay, it could so, be used to, if it's compromised. Okay, so hypothetical situation. Uh, what, what What is the um, company behind ZK Sync? Uh, the zk sync is a protocol it was created by the by open source developers there are a number of developers meta labs was the company that initially started working on it now there are multiple different companies uh, a lot of independent developers contributing to the uh, protocol development so it, it's not one company okay so so matter labs gets a um notice from the treasury department u.s treasury department um requiring that specific uh, assets in specific addresses on ZK Sync be frozen or confiscated or whatever. Uh, what does Matter Labs do? Do they violate do they violate the notice? Do they tell OFAC they can't do anything? Like or do they use the multisig to upgrade the system to comply? Oh, that's it's not. It, it's not really technically feasible. It's it's not easily doable. Like that that that's with the situation you describe, or the, even the the change you're describing, uh, is actually like f- f- pretty hard to implement. That that's that's a very complicated, very complex thing. How do you think Coinbase would react to this type of a notice? With base? I think they would fight back. I think the Coinbase, as a U.S. jurisdiction, would go to a court, and I think the U.S is largely successful and is kind of superpower in this world exactly because it's a a jurisdiction with a rule of law it's not like you know a dictatorial state where a single government can decide whatever they want 
they would go to Coinbase, and Coinbase would fight back. Obviously, this is not what we want. We don't want to rely on um, just integrity. <laughs> yes, and integrity of, yeah. uh, of, of a single company or of a group of companies. We want to rely on math and open source code, and this is what MetaLabs and ZKSync is all about. But I think specifically for Coinbase, they would fight back. And I think they have a track record of doing this, and they have proven themselves as with, uh, you know, like winning the case against SEC and, and being generally uh, very uh, of, of very high integrity within, in, in this matters. But I think where we're at, what my understanding is, is that while the multi-sig exists, and while we're in this sort of infantile state of alpha state of uh, L2s, uh, it is technically possible to comply. It's hard and not easy, and it might you know degrade the performance of the network in some way. Um, but it's possible. But we need to trust the integrity of whoever is on this multi-sig uh, to fight back, to not comply, to do whatever. Um, that's, that's my understanding. And that basically is still a lot closer to a centralized exchange as far as who we need to trust, you know, it's closer to something like Binance, uh, than it is to something like Ethereum or Bitcoin, you know, as far as the main net goes. And when it comes to trust assumptions, when it comes to what, how far do you have to go mentally? Once you really understand what's going on here, how far do you have to stretch? You know, your your your. How far do you have to suspend your your disbelief and your suspicion of of other people's motives in order to entrust your money to this system? That's where I'm at, and that's if I'm wrong in any part of that, feel free. But that's my current understanding. I think there is a fundamental difference between something like an L2 and and a centralized exchange like Binance. Um, in a similar way, how uh, you know, like, could a government, government or any authority impose a decision for a car manufacturer to implement an upgrade to like freeze a car from a uh, legit user, legit owner of this car? And for some cars, if they have an explicit function to freeze control. And I think the newer cars all have that. Like the Tesla would probably directly have this. They just switch you off and off the grid and, and then you stop on, on a highway. Uh, I think older cars that are still controlled by the board computer could theoretically do this, but practically it would be close to impossible. Like the, the complexity is, is way beyond what, what this uh, the you know, car manufacturer can do. So I think this is, you know, like there are degrees of this. Like if if you demand a task that is exorbitantly uh, complex and, and difficult to implement and risky to implement, uh, you can't re- really demand um, compliance uh, for such things. Like like you can't demand, you know, like you, you, they could issue an order that you have to pay tax from every crypto transaction. And theoretically, you could comply. You could build very complicated counting software that would track all of your transactions and go into database and check with whom you transacted, which jurisdiction, what IP, blah, blah. But that, that, that sounds like a unsurmountable task, right? So like, this, is, this is something similar. It's absolutely not trivial. Like if you don't have a function to freeze specific account, that is hard to implement, especially hard for 
complex software pieces like ZK rollups or optimistic rollups if, if they have full implementation of the fraud proofs in optimistic rollups. Yeah, but the problem is that you can still shut it down, right? So if you can't comply and your choice is shut it down or go to jail, you can still shut it down. And you can also, from my understanding, L2 beat um, freeze people's assets, you know, because if you, well, okay, let me read from L2 beat again. Tell me if it's right or wrong. Um, users can submit transactions to an L1 queue, which means that you can submit a transaction on layer one on, on Ethereum to force a withdrawal of your money um, without doing it through the bridge or the L2 or anything like that. So you can submit a transaction to an L1 queue, but you can't force it to be processed. The sequencer cannot selectively skip transactions, but can stop processing the queue entirely. So in other words, if the sequencer censors or is down, it is so for everyone. So if you, if your sequencer goes offline, um, nobody can withdraw their money. Is that right? Uh, this is correct because the ZK sync is now in the alpha state. It, the like we have a big, high priority project to implement the, um, to essentially open the fully permissionless sequencer, and this is happening in a very short term. And this, in, as long as this is not happening, it will remain alpha, and it it will remain a playground and not a serious um, system. Uh, Shouldn't so, every uh, depositor know that though? Shouldn't that like be? Oh, they do. They do. They this is very proud in our doc. Well, Chris, <laughs> this is in our documentation in in the security uh, on the security. Nobody page reads the, the docs. Explanation. Nobody reads the docs. Well, then, <laughs> I mean, you can't. Like, I don't know what 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 do I have to do? Like, go and shout shout it to like every user. Like, yes. If, if people if people don't read the docs, then uh, it's this is why hard. regulators exist because because. Financial businesses will never disclose the actual risks in a prominent way. Oh, first of all, people are stupid. Okay, people are dumb. They're not going to take the docs. Could, there could be a big link to docs right there, and, and nobody's going to read it. They're going to take their $10,000, and they're going to bridge it, and they're not even going to think about it. People are dumb. Right. So <laughs> this is why regulators exist, because when those people lose their money, they start to cry and they cry to government. They say, why didn't you protect me? Why didn't you protect me? Then the government comes back to the financial company or, or whatever it is and says, all right, what you need to do is put in giant, you need to put a picture of somebody, a homeless person on the homepage of your website. It needs to be this, you know, a thousand pixels by 600. It needs to say, this could be you if you use this product. And then they're going to make you put all this small little text underneath that that goes into all the detail about ways that people can lose their money. And it's, think about a pack of cigarettes. That's what we're talking about. Like Marlboro doesn't want, it would have never done that if they weren't forced to put a picture of a rotting lung on a pack of cigarettes, right? And people are still smoking and people are still using banks and people are still doing all this stuff. But I mean, the fact that, like, I promise you, I promise you that there, and you know this too, there's people listening to us talk that have money on an L2 and are hearing this conversation, you're like, oh my goodness, I did not know that. If I knew that when I was bridging my money, I might have not done it, 
or I might have thought about it a little bit more that they could just literally turn off a sequencer and I could lose my money forever. Like what if they get, you know, approached by a nation state or by a regulator or by an intelligence agency and they're told to, to, do, to pause for a month or, you know, whatever it might be like, that's the kind of stuff that people just can't wrap their heads around until they're literally slapped in the face with it. Does that make sense? That That's why I'm so vocal about it. That's why I go and try to just get people's attention with this stuff because otherwise they'll never pursue it and I'm doing everything I can to, people think I want regulation. I don't want regulation. I'm trying, like, I think that if we can get enough of this out now and get people to understand it, maybe we could avoid those kind of stupid regulations in the future, but I mean, the way we're heading right now, I just think that more and more people are going to freak out when one of these, like when base or one of these L2s uh, locks up their money for months or years, kind of like happened with Celsius, FTX, et cetera, where people just weren't thinking. They weren't thinking when they made that deposit. And next thing you know, you're, you've, you're 50 grand of Bitcoin or whatever is locked up for how long now? And, you know, your college, your kid's college education is inaccessible. Like that's the kind of thing we're talking about here as far as transparency and slapping people in the face with the information so they get it. I agree. I fully agree. I fully support the, the, the your intention here. And this is why I'm on this podcast. Yes, uh, we actually did prominently tweeted and wrote in the blog post about the security risks. And uh, uh, I agree. Like I understand why regulation is there. Our job is to, 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 to do it better and to get to a situation where it's completely governed by math and open source code and a decentralized community. Um, as broadly decentralized as Ethereum itself. And, and this isn't unique to L2s, right? This is the entire DeFi Ethereum space. Like nobody's doing an adequate job of going above and beyond. I mean, you know, first of all, like, you know, like me and others have been putting these messages out there for three, four years now. Um, and I've had other L2 teams attack me, align, malign my character, you know, just for making people aware of the reality of the situation, right? And so um, we've got a long way to go, but it's it's not unique. And I, I'm beating you up because, I, and I'm sorry if I sound really frustrated. You're you're the one per you're the first person and the only person from any L2 team to um, be willing to have these conversations. You know, all the other teams have either ghosted or attacked or maligned or you know whatever, um, and it shows that they've got something to hide. And that's where I get really frustrated. You know, it's like, okay, we can say it's in our docs on page 357. You know, if you don't see it, it's your problem. But that is the road to regulation. So that leads me to believe that these other teams actually want the regulation. You know, and I think that Coinbase wants some form of regulation. I think they want to be accepted by the government. They want the government to look at base and say, okay, it's now reached a version where we can accept it. And that is so antithetical to everything you're talking about. How do you coexist in this space with the team that's building base when they obviously want acceptance by the government and you're trying to offer people a tool for freedom? Like, How can those two things coexist? Oh, I don't see a contradiction. I think we are uh, allies, actually, with, with Coinbase. And I, like what they have done for the crypto space and for ensuring that the regulation doesn't become abusive and with all the fighting they've done in the courts and 
educating the regulators, I, I think they're doing a marvelous job. Like I, I have to give it to them. And of course, being an exchange, they have to be on the safer side, on you know, like uh, on on the more um, uh, like gentle approach approach to regulations. Uh, like I am a technologist, so I am looking at things from the technological perspective first, and from a perspective of freedom. So, like my job is to build systems that do not require trust in people. If we, like they, I'm coming from this background. They're coming from the background where they are working together with regulators to create the, the safety and security for the users. But ultimately, I think our goals are shared, and the the future we we are approaching from these different angles is the same. It's the future where assets of uh, you know online digital assets of everyone are non-custodial fully controlled by the individuals and people have full freedom to do with with these assets whatever they want but as long as the multi-sig exists it's not any of those things right uh it depends it depends on the role of the multi-sig you know like multi-sig is is a neutral technology it can be used you can use it with your family just to authorize some you know expanding yes yeah, so let's not confuse like multi-sigs for for self-custody versus a multi-sig that you use as a mechanism for control over a network that has third-party assets deposited onto it, right? So they're two very different things. We're just talking sure, about sure. multi-sigs as a tool for control over third-party so assets. Yeah, let, let's not call it multi-sig. Let's just say, like, you don't want any admin like, key. entity, any any admin key that, like, no matter how controlled, that can uh, unilaterally change the rules of the game, right? We don't want this for crypto, but we also, but, but, but looking at it from this perspective, multi-six are actually a huge step forward from the admin keys used by the Web2 services. The, the, this mobile wallets that we discussed are probably controlled by a single key on a single machine rather than on a multi-six by multiple different people in different jurisdictions that might be prominent people who you know, like are not as, as, as easy to compromise. So, like, in, like it, it all depends on the context. We have to be nuanced. We have to understand the context. We don't want to hide any truth, but we, we also want to, to to look at things like broadly. So, like mm-hmm. in certain situations, multisig would be a step forward. In other situations, it would be an obvious big step backwards. Um, we want to 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 always move forward. We want to get to a better future from changing the reality from from where we are today towards giving more power to the people and more freedom. Do, do you think that Coinbase, um, like Coinbase launched Base, obviously they know that regulators are behind on L2s. They know that lawmakers don't even, they can't fathom it yet. So they're just trying to get a head start. They're trying to do something crazy. Um, they fully, they fully expect to have to negotiate on the way that the layer two works with regulators and potentially with lawmakers uh, because they're a regulated entity, right? So they're going to keep that multi-sig as a full-on God mode, upgrade anything, uh, tool of control until they reach a state that is approved of and has the blessing of their government overlords. Wouldn't you say that's a, that's fact? That's accurate. 
uh, I have no insight into the intentions of different teams. I can only talk about myself and my team. Okay, right. Uh, what I what I can see in the public communication of Coinbase looks very uh, in line with crypto spirit. I believe they have genuine intentions of good. Well, of course, I I don't know. You know, I can't can't read their minds. But I think they they are on the good side. But they're not going to ossify a smart contract, burn an admin key, make something immutable, never changeable, something that they're running as a a licensed, regulated entity. Um, They're not going to do that when there's situations out there happening like with Tornado and things like that where devs are getting thrown in jail. Basically, what it boils down to for for deploying immutable smart contracts, right? For for not keeping an admin key to be able to to bring a tool into compliance. And so Coinbase, with all their lawyers, with all their you know thousands of uh, of of counsel that they have on staff, and millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of, of um, legal fees and stuff like that, they're not going to take a risk in that way. So they're going to keep that full control until they get to a point where it's it's got the blessing of the government. So between now and then, there's going to be a negotiation, and that negotiation is going to result in changes to the way that they operate the Layer 2. And that might be in one year, or it might be in 10 years. I don't know how long it's going to take uh, to figure this out. But that's going to affect the way that your Layer 2 works too, right? So it's like... I. <laughs> I see this as they're setting the precedent. If you guys think that they're doing the right things, then you're basically signing off on that whole route. Like, do you look forward to the day when there's regulation and rules and stuff coming from the government about layer twos? Do you look forward to that because it would erase uncertainty for you as a developer? And you could just, okay, well, we've got to KYC all the bridges. We've got to do all this stuff. At least we know now what we have to do. Uh, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Do you look forward to that day? Uh, or how do you think about it? I think about it in a way, I think there is a really fundamental issue here with uh, developers being sent to prison for writing code and deploying code on GitHub or, or as a smart contract. This reminds me of the crypto revolution in the 1990s where it was prohibited to export cryptography code, and and so people like there were activists who were making tattoos of RSA code and and going with this uh, through the customs and, and things like this. Uh, to me, it looks like a violation of the freedom of speech, and um, to me, this this is a situation. This is a moment of truth. Like you can you can stand up and show your support for these developers. And if you have a massive legal team, you can also go and, and support these developers and fight for the right to, to for free expression, free speech, and the, the freedom to write code. And this is really fundamental because if we get to a situation where we normalize punishing developers for writing code, then we, we this is way worse than than just you know like multi six controlling something. Then everyone will be forced like all the wallet providers all the hardware wallets all the software wallets will be forced to introduce a backdoor in the wallets themselves all the hardware manufacturers like your laptop and mobile phone manufacturers will be forced to introduce the backdoor to take control of your uh, assets uh, if the government wants like we have to oppose this collectively 
This is way, way more fundamental than any of the issues around L2s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said, but I'm looking at it from a little bit of a different angle. That angle is that if the Tornado Cash developers had kept an admin key on the Tornado smart contracts and they received the threats from government that they ultimately received, which was fix this or go to jail, they would have frozen all of the assets in the Tornado Cash smart contracts until they got instructions from the government on what to do. They would have done that to, to and, and you know, I shouldn't even say I know that for sure. Roman and Roman, if you're, and, and um, Alex, if you're listening to this, sorry for making this assumption, but humans have limits, right? Humans have limits on what they're willing to risk for other people. Um, sure, there's martyrs out there who will go to jail, uh, when faced with this, but most humans will, will have this in front of them and say, okay, you know what? I've done everything I can. I have this back door right here. I'm going to use it in order to protect my family, protect me, protect, you know, my own interests. So as long as that tool for control exists, we have to trust humans to go against their own best interests in order to um, trust them with our money. You know, and so, and plus, you know, in the case of the L2s, we also have to trust businesses. We have to trust VCs. We have to trust all these other financial interests to go against their best interests as an individual, as a as a company, as a as a for profit entity. We have to trust them to to go against all that in order for us to be able to rationally trust them. And when it comes to Coinbase, like it doesn't make any sense. Like historically, they've already they're selling data to the government already. Like they're already sharing data with the government. They're already selling surveillance software. All this kind of like why they're they've already shown us that we shouldn't trust them. So why should we have that irrational level of trust with a company like Coinbase? You know, and it's it's just the way a company works. Like people think that I'm bashing them, but this is just like the reality of, of how things work with businesses and with tech. And like, so at that level, it doesn't make sense, um, you know, to, to look at it just from that one point of view. You got to look at it as if the back door exists, it can be used. And we have to trust you guys to go, go against your own interests uh, in order to trust you with our money. Uh, so this, again, this is why I think it's important to have teams who are dedicated and really passionate about building systems that are completely trustless. And we are in a race to do it fast enough before uh, bad things happen. And, and so this is why we, we're working on zero knowledge proofs. This is why we're thinking about the trustless, um, multi-sig-less upgrade mechanisms and we need the broad buy-in from the general Ethereum community because no one, no single team can do it alone. Right. Amen, man. Well, I mean, so look, first of all, like, thank you again for doing the podcast with me. And uh, I know it's like not easy, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, one thing that I've always appreciated about you specifically is you've always been very open as, as open as you you can be uh with a lot of this stuff you know i know you come from a genuine place as far as uh, pursuing actual freedom for people and not having people locked into stupid senseless 
regulations and laws and stuff like that. Um, and I know you're, you have to tow a weird thin line, you know, with regard to a lot of this stuff, uh, which makes it really frustrating uh, in a lot of different ways, uh, I'm sure. But, um, you know, like the stuff you have, like the, the, the credo, right. And, and things like that on your website and on your GitHub and, and, um, in other places, like I can see the cypherpunk in you and in the team. I know it's there. I, I, um, I just want to see, I, I really hope that that can somehow translate into the layer two world, you know, a little bit more. Cause like I said, like, as long as these back doors exist, it's like, it's like, it's just the cypherpunk part disappears a little bit because it's like, it's, it's just the opposite. It's like, you know, Bitcoin, I mean, yeah, it had bugs. It had, um, hard forks and it had whatever, you know, problems along the way, but it never had that level of control over it. Right. Never had the back door, the multi-sig, whatever the admin key, whatever you want to call it. Um, where you had to trust once it was properly decentralized over time. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah, obviously Satoshi was the only node, the only miner in the beginning, but there was never a limit on how many people could be miners. There was never a limit on how many nodes could operate um, after that first block was was mined. So it's it's very different, you know. And that's where I just get really frustrated because I think people bring that mentality along with them when they use Ethereum and Layer Twos that Bitcoin level of decentralization in their head. And then slowly they start to figure out over time that it's not like that, you know, and that's, that's where I get frustrated because, um, you know, a lot of layer two teams just don't want to, they just don't want that information to be front and center and nobody wants to be first too, right? Which is hard. I'm sure like if everybody else was, was front and center with big warnings on their homepage, you guys would be doing it, but nobody else does it. Right. So it's like, you don't want to hurt adoption on your product and let the other ones just pull ahead because they're they're continuing to hide the reality of things. So hopefully um, the industry figures this out before the regulators have to jump in, right? Uh, yes, uh, I, I agree with you. I understand your frustration. And uh, it's really important that people like you raise the voice and educate the community and keep pushing for this kind of standards. Uh, and, and so I really respect the work you're doing. I know it's hard. You, you're getting a lot of harsh reactions to, to what you're doing, to the way you're doing, because you're not compromising on your values. And you keep pushing, you keep asking hard questions. Uh, and maybe the way to deal with this frustration for now is really to, to perceive L2s as, as like playground. It's use it for gaming, use it for, you know, fun NFT stuff for art. Like don't, don't, don't take it too seriously. Don't put a lot of money there. Don't put your fortune there. Like there can be bugs. There can be, you know, like the, this uh, um, uh, emergency situations with, with with the legal stuff. Keep it simple and playful until we figure out truly decentralized trustless governance models and switch to them. Ten billion dollars on layer twos. I think it might be a little late for that, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know. Uh, some of this money is uh, USDC, some stable coins that are backdoored anyway. Um, so it, right. Like, it, we need to take it in a complex look. Well, thanks again for doing this. We'll have to do this again sometime as as the product matures and we can see uh, 
how things are coming along and where we can eliminate some of the the complaints right that i have <laughs> so i look forward to that man thank you chris